the, the freelance creative world wasn't the only one to be here. So cinemas, theaters, um, independent filmmakers, uh, it wasn't the only um, highly impacted sector. There's also the aviation sector and the hospitality sector. So um, again, I think coronavirus has put us in a, con in a situation that um, was unseen and unthinkable, unfathomable before. Netflix, you know, uh, or Amazon Prime, all these other stream platforms, they're very deliberate with the kind of movies they, they showcase. And, you know, at the end of the day, as a business, you want to go for mass appeal. So you'll, I, I feel that you see just a lot of movies that are, you know, that are just easy watching. Welcome to episode four of Peace in a Pod. Today we'll be talking about the state of the film industry. I've got my good friend here, Luigi. Uh, he knows a lot more about the film industry and the process of making films um, a lot more than I do. So I've got him here with me. I think uh, I quite enjoy watching films just like anybody else. Um, and I tend to be, I'd say, a little bit more analytical um, when, I, when I watch a movie. But obviously, uh, my knowledge on the industry uh, is nothing compared to, to Luigi. So I've got him here with me, and we're just going to be talking about his experiences uh, as as a uh, as a director, um, his experiences sort of navigating the film industry itself, and what he thinks of it as a as a whole in general. I guess. Uh, so Luigi, thanks for coming on. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Um, hello everyone, well thank you for having me, it's a, it's a pleasure um, again um, um, be helping a friend and uh, I've been listening to your podcast and they're actually very interesting so I hope I can bring something equally interesting to the table. Um, thank you for the introduction, so yes I have been uh, um, kind of interested in films um, for as long as I can remember really, um, just like you it started with a simple passion for films. I would just really enjoy watching films, and um, um, I kind of realized that this was more of a of a kind of hobby. Um, it was more than just um, watching films recreationally. I really liked to um, looking into the films, looking into the work of the directors, of the actors. Um, I really liked um, the screenplays or reading scripts, reading screenplays of films. Um, and after I finished high school, there wasn't really anything, uh, any other subject that captured me as much as um, cinema and film did. So I um, decided to kind of take a leap and um, I moved to the UK um, and I started uh, a Bachelor of Arts at the University of Reading in Film and Theatre Studies, which I then followed with a Master of Arts in Creative Enterprises. So the Bachelor was more about um, kind of the the theory, the the criticism and uh, a little bit of the practical side of the, the of films and filmmaking and cinema, whereas the Master was more kind of oriented towards the film aesthetics and the production, the kind of more practical side of production. So we did a lot about um, kind of the, the steps and the stages that go into producing a short film and 
the the marketing side of it, the distribution side of it, the entrepreneurial side of it, um, which is what made me uh, launch my own little production company um, last summer. Uh, well, I should say, yeah, well, summer twenty nineteen, um, which has been kind of my freelancing. My freelancing um, enterprise so far. All right. Would you say? I think you mentioned a little bit about your masters, um, and you know how it different from how it differed from your bachelor's degree. Would you say that your masters and what you learned in your masters was more significant in what you did? So, like, I, I feel like you kind of replied a lot of what you did uh what you learned from your masters into what you actually eventually did uh, i think you, you talked about you know the entrepreneur side of you know being a director or being in the film industry um, creating short films which you i think you had to do that for your masters didn't you yes so um i think the the academic background that i that i got from from uni was definitely significant and very important because um, again, we I had formally no training, uh, no experience, and no knowledge of um, of film, of the kind of filmmaking. So um, I started from scratch. I started from zero when I went to uni, and uh, again, learning having a course that teaches you about the the fundamentals, and then it goes more into details and more in in depth about other aspects was really. Uh, I found it really personally really really good and and um, that really helped me shape really helped shape my the path that I took um having said this there are people that um like Quentin Tarantino himself he said uh, he said that I never went to film school I went to films so I guess what he meant by that is that you can get into this by just following your passion and following your intuition and just watching a ton of films um that is doable and that has happened and has been done um but i really really liked um the course and uh, i met a lot of of people and um, i had a lot of support a lot of guidance and yes as you said i also had the chance of making two short films one for my final project in my um my undergrad and then one uh, as final project in my postgrad Nice. Um, do you want to talk us through a little bit about your your experience making? I guess the the one that I watched was the one for your postgrad, wasn't it? Yes. Um, do you want to talk? Uh, would you Would you say that was your better project? I yes. Think? Yeah, it definitely shows a lot more maturity than uh, than the first one. So, whilst at university, I really got into a you could you could call it a a genre or a branch of cinema that's called the world cinema, uh, which is basically um, it's a cinema that focuses its attention on um, countries uh, and stories that you normally don't really see on screen. Um, so films such as um, I'm like an, an, a, quite a good example that it started as kind of like a, an underdog film, but then became really popular is Roma. By Alfonso Cuarón, uh, the one set in in 1970s Mexico. So um, again, it's a sort of it's a sort of cinema that focuses on, as I was saying, um, 
stories about people that you don't normally see on screen, um, like working class people or people who are going through a struggle, uh, minorities, um, both ethnical and uh, racial and um, and um, gender minorities. And um, again, I got really interested into this genre and coming from Naples in southern Italy, I felt that parts of my hometown and parts of the problems in my hometown aren't really depicted properly on screen. Um, so I came up with this story back in back in, 2000, in 2018, 2019. I mean, it's still very true these days, but back then what I felt was an enormous problem um, in southern Italy was uh, migration. So the fact that these people don't receive appropriate help um, they just, you know, they people from from North Africa, they embark on these um, nearly inhuman journeys to make it to the coasts of southern Italy and then they're kind of left to themselves. Um, so uh, this film that I made, which is called The Moroccan, is about this, um, this immigrant from northern Africa who's just kind of living day by day in, um, in the city of Naples until one day he's approached by two shady um, individuals who offer him a reward if he um, if he does a job for them and then in the end it turns out that this job is is a um, is a house um, is a burglary, burglary um, in this old woman's house and I guess the film is really about kind of like the morality versus the legality of things and what would you do and how much would you would you change in order to to survive um so that was was the idea that i had that was the story behind which i um spoke um spoke about with my back then tutor um which was um luciana jib which is a quite a um a prominent um a lecturer and the prominent writer of world cinema um and um, and yeah, she loved the idea, and I had that was in January that I pitched it to her, and um, the filming was in June, so I had six months to sort out the entirety of of pre-production, as you can imagine. So um, there was casting. Um, I managed to find a guy from a guy living in Rome uh, who was um, Somali originally. He was perfect for the role. Um, managed to find the two guys in Naples. Um, these are all people with no either no experience at all in acting or very little experience. So you wanna preserve the level of realism um, in your actors. Um, we used entirely um, existing l real locations. So there is there are no sets. They're all locations mm -hmm. you've seen. It is is in the countryside. It's an abandoned house. Is kind of um, this abandoned neighborhood and to again preserve and enhance the level of of realism um i was lucky enough my department provided some a little bit of budget uh, which i then managed to find two outside producers um one was the the image mobility fund which is this fund about this fund um funds project that are about um foreigners and kind of exchange of of cultures and, and things and then um one in naples uh, which is the um uh center for film and um and something um, 
it's, it's a big name. Um, and yeah, no, so we got ahead. I, I went back to Naples um, with a very good friend of mine, an amazing director of photography, and we just did the whole um, week um, full on of shooting, going around Naples, and um, yeah, it was it was a, it was a, it was a very it was a great experience. It was very fun. I think um, the most important thing when you do something that you love is to enjoy it throughout the process. Because otherwise, what's the point of of really liking something if you don't get to enjoy it? And although there was there were a lot of um, um, there were a lot of incognitas and a lot of things that could have gone wrong, and a couple of things did go wrong. Um, the the I'm I'm really happy with the final result, and everyone has been really excited about it. Um, the short film was meant to be shown at a small cine club in Italy um, back in April 2020, which obviously didn't happen for quite obvious reasons. Um, but yeah, so so that's kind of like a, a very quick um, overview of the process. So if you feel like I can go into more details about any of, of, the, of that. Mean- Personally, I, when I watched, I was very impressed. Um, I think it was interesting you mentioned Alfonso Cuaron because I actually I watched Harry Potter three like literally two days ago. <laughs> it's my favorite out, out of the Harry Potter movies. I thought it was it's my personal favorite. Which one? In terms, of, uh, the third Prisoner of Azkaban, because uh, it's, it's oh, directed okay. by yes. it's directed by Cuaron. It's it's very different from at least the first two. Uh, it really takes like a dark uh, turn. Not not that it's the kind of movie you made, but I I just thought it was funny that you mentioned um, him. Um, what what were some of the problems that you you encountered? Because you mentioned that you had a couple, but you were happy with the result, and I was honestly very impressed with the results. But I mean, from from what I saw, I didn't feel like there were any. <laughs> I mean, it it didn't look like there were any you know any any complications on your end. Which I'm glad because uh, at the end of the day, filmmaking is all about smoke and mirrors. So you have to make you may you have to make what you've you you have to make work of what you've got. Um, luckily, it wasn't anything major. It was just about the fact that um, as you saw, as I mentioned, a lot of it is shot um, on location, so real streets, uh, real places, which meant. Uh, having the occasional bystanders kind of like stop on the set and, you know, look at us work. And, uh, um, you know, we, we kind of had to, we, we had to ask people to quiet down or we had to ask people to, um, you know, just stop whatever they were doing for a minute or two. Um, you know, on a big, um, on a big production, you would have, uh, production assistants that, Specifically, that's their job, just keeping people quiet and making sure that there are no noises and there are no external uh, factors on set. But with the, I had a crew of, so me, myself, so me, um, my director of photography, a sound guy, and three actors mostly. So again, as you can imagine, it was a very tight, um, it was a very tight crew. So we, we all had to kind of, be do our own roles and then do a little bit of extra um as well keep an eye on the continuity keep an eye on the on the safety and um keep an eye on um uh, kind of just um just keeping people away and keeping everyone um at bay um so that was one and um 
Um, what else? Well, it was it was mostly just um, kind of the the short amount of time that we had meant that because um, again, it, I obviously live in England now, and I, I I flew back to Naples, and with me my director of photography, and then I had this main actor come down uh, to Naples. He stayed at mine, so again, it was it's kind of like. We 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 had a really concise budget that uh, there was there was virtually no time to sh to add the, an extra day of shooting. Um, I say virtually, but there wasn't. There was no extra. We had we we set for a five days shoot. We split all of the scene in the in the best way, um, which obviously which most of the time isn't chronological. As a matter of fact, we couldn't film chronologically. Um, and there was there was very very little room for mistake. Um, so on on the day, you've got a certain amount of scenes to film, and you have to film them. I and mean, you can maybe have one scene that you need to redo, um, but ideally you don't need to. So so yeah, it was mostly time um, our main issue. But uh, again, um, I think overall. Um, I'm, I, I can, I can say that I've been quite lucky. We've been quite lucky because we didn't have any major obstacle, you know, any major technical issue or any major, I don't know, rain or something like that. Um, yeah. we were lucky. Yeah. Would you, would you say it was a, it was a bit of an ambitious project just because of, I guess, the, the difficulty of the location? Honestly, yes. Sometimes I, I think about that project and I, I think to myself, how have I been so ambitious? It's obviously, I'm 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 in the process. Of, I'm writing a couple of of um, of short films. You know, just writing down ideas and just gathering gathering ideas and and pitching stories. But I do think of that project, and I think that was a very very ambitious project. Uh, you know, um, multiple people going from from one country to another one, and um, it's so complex. There are so many scenes. Um, I think we. There were about there's a good twenty scenes in the film, and but I mean, maybe a, a dozen different locations. So you know, there is there is like uh, there is one one neighborhood, and then there is uh, there is the abandoned house, and then there is the countryside, and then there is the shop, and and there is the the, the city streets. So it, it was a really ambitious project, but uh, again, no, it it, it worked. Um, yeah, mm. I mean, that's the thing. I think. Even if it was an ambitious project, at the end of the day, it's what you wanted to do. So then, you know, when when there's that drive behind the project, then you know you kind of have to take that risk sometimes. Yeah, I mean, you know, well done for taking it because it came out really well. Yeah. Um, but were you? I was also going to ask, were you also behind the camera as well? So was that you moving the cameras? And... No. So that was uh, that was my friend Anwar, um, okay. who's again amazing director of photography. So. He's, he's doing the camera work. We just discussed the... So we had a meeting beforehand here in the UK and we we went through the script and we wrote down as many camera movements and shots, uh, shot scales and lenses that we wanted to use so that uh, we would literally know everything before being on set. Uh, because again, being so time limited, you couldn't get on set and then be like, okay, so the, so we're gonna sh we're gonna 
what, what camera should we use? What, um, what shot should we do? What camera movement? No, we had to have a very strong idea before it, which is that again, how major productions work. So, um, most people don't know the, 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 the longest, um, the longest, um, time is actually spent on pre-production. And then the actual production, the actual filming, it doesn't really take that long. So you can have one, like people like Christopher Nolan, they would spend two years, two to four years working on, on the script, working on the camera movement, uh, rehearsing. And then you can get, according to the project, you can get away with the actual filming. You can do that in, you know, anything between one month and a half to, to six months according to the project. But pre-production, the, the strongest your pre-production is, the easier it's going to be on, on set. Because, you know, you're going to have a very good idea of what you're going to do. The, you need to have room for, for improvisation always, especially, as I said, uh, since we, we just, we, we went to Naples and I had, uh, I did a little location scouting on my own. Um, but then still had to change because, you know, maybe on the day we went to that place and it was too crowded or we went to that place and there were works going on. So you want to have a, a, a strong, a strong pre-production as possible, but always be ready to, to improvise and to, you know, one of the scenes was meant to be by the, by the seaside, uh, by the coast, but it was just, impossible to make because um there there wasn't it, it was a very far away and um the the seaside the coastline is quite trafficked in naples so it would have been a nightmare so in the end we did it in the in this little countryside location which is the scene when the protagonist is approached by the two guys you know he's walking his approach i i had pictured that at the at the seaside just because of just wanted to give you this connection with the sea um but in the end we did it in that little isolated um street just for to make it more practical but in the end it works because it still gives that sense yeah. of a sense of isolation sense of the outskirts sense of the plainness of the outskirts of naples yeah no, I mean, I was I was honestly quite impressed by, I guess, the level of quality first and foremost, and I could tell the shots, uh, the way they were shot were very deliberate. Um, mm. So I'm not at all surprised that you meticulously planned it out. Yeah. Um. You know, I, I, I mean, one of the things I noticed was that I feel like you you were very efficient with your shots, and you know, every shot, there was not every shot, but like there was always no, not always, but there was one thing happening in the foreground and you know, there'll be things happening in the background and it was just sort of like you know it was very compact and i feel like there wasn't um yes you were trying to like you weren't trying to waste any shots or waste any time obviously with this sh with the short film format i understand that you know you have to sort of squeeze a lot um but to get you know that much into it um i i was very impressed by that Oh, no, you, uh, no, thanks for that. And yeah, you are absolutely right. That was my intention to, to be able to, to tell more whilst showing less. And this is an, this yeah. is, this is kind of a characteristic of world cinema. So you wanna, um, you wanna, you wanna give a, a very high level of, a very high sense of, 
of reality, of realism, and you do that by kind of showing everything that's happening within the shot, and then the the audience can decide to focus on what's on the on the background, what's on the foreground. Um, you know, I just wanted to leave the I wanted to leave the frame most of the time it's really open, so you you can gaze into the you can gaze into the horizon. You there is there is bits there is parts of the frame that aren't being used, but they're there just because in real life there are these gaps, there are these uh, these empty spaces. Um, so I'm glad that you noticed that. And just picking up on what you said about the the length, and actually I'll give you a little fun fact. Um, the film was supposed to be 15 minutes long, so and it ended up being 25 minutes long. So I guess I. As much as I was trying to be, as much as I was trying to be concise, it was nearly half as much uh, longer than it was meant to be. So I had to, I submitted a shorter cut to my university for evaluation, and then the the original, the official one, which is the one that you saw, which is the one that I've been showing and the one that was meant to be shown and the one that I've been sending at festivals and stuff. It's the is the longer official version. Um, yeah, so a lot of uh, I, th I think every director would agree that um, the film always comes longer than than they were expecting, and the hardest part is always to cut bits from it, but has to be done. No, I can I can imagine. Would you say that showing without telling is something that's sort of neglected in a way? Uh, with a lot of the movies these days and a lot of the films, just because I find that because the movie industry is it's 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 so big financially, right? Um, it's a major source of revenue for a lot of companies. Would you say that that there's I guess it's been a dip in creativity just because of all these blockbuster movies that are coming out, and now that the money's so involved, it's kind of like. Do you want to make it as easy as possible for the audience to watch it? So, you know, because for me, showing without telling is just so... I, I, I really, really enjoy those scenes where there's... There might be no dialogue happening, but then I could... Or, you know, just from, like, facial expressions or just from, you know, something being shown. It just really gets you engaged um, as the audience. So would you say that that's kind of... The, the the quality in, in, in films recently has dipped a little bit just because of the size, the sheer size of the industry. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, film, I believe, I've always believed it's a visual art. So you should be able to, as you said, you need to communicate things, emotions, um, by visually. So without um, without chit-chatting and without um, kind of um, talking about it. So the, the greatest examples of, of filmmaking that I know that I can think of are filmmakers that can communicate entire emotions or entire stories without actually ever having their characters say any word. Um, I'm glad that you noticed the fact that a lot of my film, there isn't that much dialogue, especially at the beginning. Yeah. I think there isn't any dialogue for about the first five minutes or, so, or more, um, you know, there is this this very long sequence about the guy escaping to Naples, and then he takes the train to this out to this unknown and uh, anonymous outskirty town, and um, you know, all of those five six minutes they could have been condensed 
or what, what those what those what that beginning what that opening is showing is kind of like the condition of this man who's who's living as a uh, as a misfit in this place that he clearly doesn't belong to and you know it takes five six minutes to show that um to make it a lot more impactful but i could have i could have done that um another filmmaker could have chosen to do that by simply having the guy talk to someone and say i don't feel like i belong in this place you know um and that would have said me five minutes i would have condensed those five minutes into a 30 seconds dialogue but again i went to i went for a a visual kind of um a, a cinema a film that you want to feel rather than than hear and um and and yes talking um more widely about about the industry and the and the status of things um some films are clearly made to be to be assimilated rather than to be watched you know you want to create a easy ready-made product that the audience is going to understand easily and clearly um you know where there is some there isn't much um there's much room for interpretation you know you just you just give to your audience you force feed them the information that you want to give them without having them really think about it and, and really work out what's going on in the film um and again now i, I want to use the example of roma again this this fantastic film by alfonso cuaron which is um set in 1970s mexico and i keep bringing this up because that was one of my influences on the film i guess um along with with some other films um and again there is very little dialogue and it's all about the interaction between the characters which is a nearly unspoken interaction um whereas you i think most of your netflix films or most of your amazon prime films are films that are kind of ready to be to be watched um they i, I don't want to say that netflix is is the is the devil or the any any big production company is the devil not at all because they have made and they do make I've, I've been impressed by some by the level of some netflix films um but a mistake that some productions can do i feel is that they want to produce so many films that maybe they 80 percent of the films they produce are low level high budget but low level so there isn't that much thinking going on is just oh let's make a film that is a romantic comedy there is a there is a there is a misunderstanding at one point and then there is the happy ending and then you just yeah. you've got this basic plot and you just write a script that's easy to understand um and then there is only that 20 percent um of films that is really thought about that is really um you know kind of a, a, a higher quality level of films yeah I mean, yeah, I think it's interesting when you bring up the streaming platforms because in a way it makes movies a lot easier to watch. So you think, you know, I can watch more, I guess, high quality movies and you could sort of, in a, in a way, when, when it comes down to educating yourself about movies and stuff, it might be a good thing. But at the same time, Netflix, you know, or Amazon Prime, all these other streaming platforms, they're very deliberate with the kind of movies they they showcase. And, you know, at the end of the day, as a business, you want to go for mass appeal. 
So mm. you'll, I, I feel that you see just a lot of movies that are, you know, that are just easy watches. And me personally, I love, I love an easy watch film. I think if, if it's just a movie that I'm just going to watch for fun, that's fine, you know. But that doesn't really. I think a lot of the times I actually find myself just forgetting the sort of general plot or like, yeah. you know, chronologically speaking as well. I'm kind of like, oh, you know, what happens after this? What happens? I, I find it a lot harder to sort of remember these movies. Whereas, you know, if I watch like a, a proper good, uh, good quality movie from a good director who's, you know, putting a lot of time uh, and effort into the into their craft, I, I that sticks with me a lot more and actually really gets me thinking a lot more about not only just about films, but, you know, about, you know, us as human beings and like films at the end of the day, they're sort of, you know, they're a reflection, just like any, you know, any art form is like a reflection of society and, you know, an interpretation, I guess, um, of, of human beings and, you know, because we're so complex as, <laughs> as, a, you know, as creatures, I guess, but what would you say what's your opinion on on streaming platforms and how it's impacted their industry uh from from your perspective uh, as as a filmmaker it's quite a it's quite a big uh, question <laughs> and i feel like this is probably the question that has been at the forefront of any film and cinema debate of the past decade um well first of all i i don't I don't tend to see Netflix or Amazon Prime or any of these streaming platforms as um, kind of a um, an enemy of cinema. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're strictly speaking competition for cinema. Uh, cinema is its own medium, whereas streaming platform are a different one. So you know, I think if you your if streaming platforms they are competitors to such things as television i would say because you know when you are when you're home in the evening you're like shall i watch a film on netflix or shall i watch something on on bbc one for example whereas going to the cinema is an act that um it will never be replaced i don't think it will be replaced um Technology can increase and improve as much as you want um, with, you know, um, 3D and and 4D and Oculus and all of this kind of stuff. But going to the cinema has got an appeal that watching a film at home doesn't have. Um, you know, there is that there is there is uh, there is kind of like a, a fetish and there is a, there is an entire process about going into the cinema, go, walking into this darkened room. Uh, Potentially getting some popcorns before going in, and you know, sitting down and watching the trailers. So, I if I want if I want if if uh, if I want to really watch a film, I try and go and watch it at the cinema. Um, but I wouldn't tell myself, oh, what am I gonna do today? Am I gonna go to the cinema or am I gonna watch Netflix? Now they are two completely different things. It's like saying, do I wanna go to the gym or do I wanna stay home and chill? It's kind of they're very different things that would change according to your uh, kind of your mood and, and how you're feeling. So streaming platforms have made uh, films more affordable and more approachable, much more approachable. I mean, if if we put the the clocks back 10 years when I was still in Italy, I think I was at the mercy of 
the few channels the whatever they were programming that night um you know there was just television back then and then i remember slowly sky came in and it had uh, sky cinema one sky cinema two uh, sky action and all of these so from only having three four channels on television that were showing films you now have sky which has got 10 channels and you've got the the action channel the horror channel the uh the kind of like uh, historic one the cult the classic one so that was that was already a big improvement and then i think it's about it's around that time that netflix came in and netflix just gives you a unlimited choice i mean virtually unlimited who doesn't spend at least 10 minutes choosing a film on netflix I, i've i've spent half an hour choosing a film on netflix <laughs> to the point that I, I, at the end i was like i'm not watching a film because I've, I've had enough of uh, true story like it's um so yeah and i think netflix amazon prime they've made film um much more affordable much more democratic and although as we said some of the films that they um some of the films that they show some of the films that they produce aren't really of any quality aren't really of any artistic value I think they have helped develop audiences better. People that before would never watch films um, have started watching films. So they they have started with watching basic, um, tacky, already made uh, films. And then, you know, little by little, this new audience or maybe, you know, 5% of this audience is going to move on to um, more artistic films. So I think that Netflix and such and such platforms have helped um, increase and improve the um, the the name of 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 the film industry. Not to not to mention the enormous amount of money that they invest into the the film industry, which, as you said, it produces billions and billions in, of revenue in every country. Well, in most countries, USA, UK. So there is the obviously there is the economical side of it. There is the um, employing people side of it um, there is all of these and I think something the Netflix Amazon Prime have started they're, they're still a little immature on these but something that I think they they have started doing well is they're showing more international films so more world cinema as I defined it earlier um, more world cinema films so you can find you can find a lot of uh, Hindi films so films from from india you can find a lot of uh, east asian films so a lot of chinese south korean i mean i think it was in netflix or amazon prime that had parasite just a few months yeah. after coming to the cinema i was surprised I, I was like how is it how is it out already and uh, um i've noticed that amazon netflix they are they are not just um, um buying the rights of distribution of showing this film but they're actually producing some some very good international films so again i think this is obviously this speaks to helping spread culture and helping share culture and helping people look into cinemas into films that come from a different from a different part of the world and with everything that comes with that so looking into different cultures and looking into different different people's lives and different people's stories so um, you know you can one month of netflix is what 5.99 and you can virtually sorry 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. $7.99, $7.99, one month of Netflix. Yeah. Which is basically, which is the price of one cinema ticket. So, you know, you can, you can put that, that money that would go into watching one film in cinemas. You can put into a whole month of unlimited streaming. So again, um, I, yeah, I think Netflix, Amazon Prime, they have, I mean, obviously I enjoy them. I, as much as I love cinema and as I said, I love going into the dark room and the stereo system and Adobe Digital and all of that. I love watching films on Netflix as well. You know, it's, um, it's, it's a great way to watch old films as well. You know, cinemas has obviously got a very, very short life. Uh, films in cinemas have got a very short lifespan, you know, a few months and then they're gone. Like, how are you going to watch uh, an old film that you like unless you buy in the past, unless you bought the DVD or unless you waited for TVs, for like television channels to show them, you you wouldn't have a chance to watch them. But Netflix, Amazon Prime, they've got some of my favorites at the moment. Um, so, so, yeah, I that's what I think about streaming platforms. And... I think one, the only one thing that I would say is that although I am positive towards um, streaming films and watching films or, on streaming platforms, what I cannot condone is people watching films on their phones. I'm sorry if you're one of those people, you gotta stop because it wasn't meant to be watched on your phone. Like, watch it on your laptop, yes. Watch it on your TV if you can, but don't watch it on your phone because you, you're really gonna miss a lot of the the pleasure and the enjoyment and the cinephilia that comes with watching films on a on a bigger screen. No, I, I definitely agree on that one. I think it's interesting because this is this isn't film, but um, I don't know if you watched The Mandalorian, but mm. um, I was so I think they they just finished up season two, mm-hmm. but I really uh, really started getting into it. I thought. I think for me, it was the technology that they used, which really sort of made the the series very visually pleasing. And um, I mean, the quality was just, it was, it was a TV show, but it's like each individual episode was an entire movie. Mm. Uh, the, the budget uh, for it was, was quite uh, significant, but it was, I, I thought for me, in terms of the quality of the of the Mandalorian, it was very high, mm. um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And so, when an episode came out, I would try to replicate the movie like setting, and um, I'd have like uh, my Xbox and my monitor, and then I'd turn all the lights down, um, you know, close my window so there's just I'm just it's just me, and you know whatever I'm watching. But I don't really have that with with everything that I watch and. Mm. Uh, you know, if I'm just watching something in the background, I, I'm not gonna put all that effort. But it, it is interesting that you mentioned, um, you know, the, the the experience of going to cinema. That's never gonna be replicated anywhere else. You know, I I can try as much as I can in my room, yeah. but it's nowhere near, um, nowhere near, you know, the actual experience. And I think, I mean, it's sometimes it's a bit unfortunate to see, uh, you know, the streaming platform kind of because I think for the average viewer and the average consumer of movies it, it it makes less sense to to actually go to to the cinema because now we're seeing um movies sort of like there's a release date on netflix or on the streaming platform yeah um and it's like you know whether it's cheaper 
to watch it on you know from directly from that platform or it's it's free to watch on that platform it's you know it, it's disincentivize disincentivizing people to to go out and watch that you know that movie in cinema so yeah i think it, in that sense it's a little bit unfortunate to see um but yeah i wanted to quickly touch on your so your entrepreneurial spirit and how you sort of channeled that into going into freelance yes um video production do you want to talk talk to me through that because i thought that i mean like i i i saw some of the videos that you had made and i thought it was such a great sort of thing that you were doing um and especially i saw that you know a couple of the businesses or the clients that you had um were trying to change their online image and trying to improve their online presence and i felt like you really played a key role in in doing that yes um so to be honest i, I gotta say it started quite um quite casually um so i i like most people i had foreseen kind of go through uni finish university get a job uh you know at the kind of like at the bottom level and then work your way up sort of thing um but then whilst i was uh, in my second term at uni someone approached my department uh, department of film and television obviously and asking if anyone was available to make a little promotional um, uh, video for them so i kind of like jumped although i mostly thought of myself as a more of um, director in the form of I like to obviously work on scripts, work on pre-production, but I tend to avoid doing the like camera work. As I mentioned, I had a, a director of photography working with me. Um, I thought the the it would be a good uh, opportunity to also kind of embrace this more practical and hands-on side of production. Um, and so I helped this guy with the project that he that he was doing, um, which was which was local, actually, um, luckily. And then um, someone from his circle of of acquaintances saw this video, and they got in touch with me saying, "Can you do something similar for me?" Which I did. And then someone from their circle saw the saw the video that I made for them and for the first guy, and they asked me, "Can you make something for me as well?" So it kind of like created a, a domino effect of. The, the the next video that I was making, someone would see, and then you know you've got three people now that know you as a as a videographer, as a filmmaker, and if someone asks them, um, oh, do you know anyone or who's who 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 did that project for you, they they will recommend you. So it kind of like it kind of like happened um, naturally, and as I said earlier about um, when you're working on a short film, you have to be able to improvise. I feel like um, this is very much true also when it comes to to freelancing you you know sometimes you you end up taking a path that you weren't expecting as I think back if we put the if we put the clock back a year and a half I would never have thought that I my my main kind of relation to the to to filmmaking right now would be my own freelancing things i i still had the plan i still had the idea of kind of joining a production company and that still is my long-term um plan obviously which has been made a little bit harder by the the current situation of things um but um uh but yeah so i 
after a few projects, I was like, I, I thought, you know, I'm just going to make a website with all the videos that I have and I'm going to come up with a little name for for my production company, uh, Quotation Marks. Um, and um, uh, yeah, it, it just it just happened. I guess you have to be good at recognizing an opportunity and jumping on it. And um, I think the hardest part is it still is um, obviously being able to find a, um, a certain structure within your freelancing work. I think what puts off a lot of people about freelancing and what put me off about freelancing, some, the reason why I never thought I would want to go into freelancing is that um, there is an enormous, um, um, what's the word, um, unknownability factor. There's an enormous, uh, uh, you know, you don't know when your next job is going to come. And especially, I mean, I think about all of the people that were, I'm, I'm lucky enough that my, again, as I was saying, my my videography um, stuff is more of a, a freelancing thing. So I've got my, my main job and I do, I do filmmaking and videography freelancing, um, but uh, what I obviously feel um, feel for these days are people that were uniquely living of their freelancing um, gigs of their freelancing job, and how obviously coronavirus has impacted all of these people's career. I have a, a couple of very good friends in London that I studied with who have had their um, you know their dream postponed indefinitely. Um, and yeah, it's really sad to see, but then again, I think, I guess it's a gamble, uh, f the, the freelance creative world wasn't the only one to be hit. So cinemas, theaters, um, independent filmmakers, uh, it wasn't the only, um, highly impacted sector. There's also the aviation sector and the hospitality sector. So, um, again, I think coronavirus has put us in a con in a situation that um, was unseen and unthinkable, unfathomable before, uh, you know, when you when back then I started getting jobs, I didn't think to myself, can I be a freelance? Is anything gonna? When I thought about the reasons why my freelancing career might uh, might fail, I didn't think about a global pandemic. I thought about, am I gonna get enough clients? Am I gonna be able to? you know, um, find new clients every month. Am I going to be able to kind of market my stuff properly so that it's going to reach uh, a good audience? So those were the problems that um, I was um, questioning myself back then. Uh, and then, obviously, uh, a whole new level of problems have um, arisen. But, um, I mean, again, there is always... Um, as you said, some customers, um, although some jobs that I had booked um, were cancelled, some other actually um, blossomed in a way thanks to the thanks to the virus, thanks to the to the pandemic. So a lot of business, a lot of businesses realized that, um, as you mentioned much later on in the interview, they needed to change their to improve their online presence since they couldn't be. Um, as present physically, and what I mean by that is by having customers going into their businesses, they realized that they had to have a, a stronger online presence. So a couple, I can think of at least four or five videos that I made 
where for businesses or for customers that had to improvise. So again, improvising is, is really like the key word in this. Had to improvise and they had to offer the same um, product that they were offering um, online rather than in person. So I guess there is still a way of being a freelancer uh, during these times. And again, hands down, these times are going to be over soon, as everyone hopes. Um, and you know, once things are back to normal, people are gonna are gonna need filming, are gonna need videos, are gonna need um, you know online presence, are gonna need commercials and promotions and pro promotional videos and all of this kind of stuff. So it might look hard right now, and I think if anyone wants to go into freelancing right now, I would obviously um, suggest to them to think about it really carefully and potentially not make it their only source of revenue. Um, you know, have like a little part-time job or have another little endeavor that can bring in a little bit of money. Um, but don't, obviously, don't let anything kind of stop you. And, uh, you know, if this is what someone, if this is what someone really wants to do, then by all means. Um, and I don't mean only in a film um, environment. I also mean musicians. I also mean writers, theater makers, um, anyone of the sort. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of a good way to wrap it up because we're, we're almost approaching an hour uh, now. But I guess before before we end things, uh, did you want to drop any of your social medias, um, any, any movements that you support, any friends that you want to sort of you know, if you want to include their usernames or whatever, uh, whatever you want, you can include them here. Um, well, so if anyone is interested to hear more about my uh, freelancing activity, my um, production company is called Mos Mayorum Films. Uh, I, I am a big uh, fan of Roman times and, and Latin literature, so that's a, a Roman term. Um, so again, uh, they can have a look on my Instagram, um, my website, mosmyroomfilms.com. And if anyone who's listening would like to find out more about the things that I did and uh, how I got to to where I am, um, I'll be more than happy to to have a, a chat with them. Or if anyone wants to collaborate, likewise, I'm always looking for uh, talented and mostly um, ambitious people, uh, people that have got a passion in, in film and music and uh, and all of these sort of things. Um, again, I, I've mentioned him a lot, even though I, I, I barely said his name. So Anwar uh, Johari is um, um, the guy who was my director of photography on my short film, The Moroccan, which is also on Vimeo and my website, if anyone is interested. Um, again, amazing uh, director of photography, great friend, great guy. Um, and um, um, again, um, there's a lot of people that um, I've had the pleasure of working with. Um, a very good friend of mine, Gabriel Brock, is a photographer. Um, Bernie Palum was also a photographer. Um, and all of these people, they have again helped me along the way. And um, with some of them, I was meant to collaborate, but our projects have either been postponed or have been put on hold of. 
on. Um, so I hope that we'll be able to collaborate soon. And uh, well, lastly, Marlo, thank you for having me on. Uh, it's been a pleasure, I love a little occasion to, to talk a little bit about myself. Um, and yeah, no, uh, well, man, I look forward to collaborate with you too one day. <laughs> no, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. I think, you know, the the idea with these is just to talk about people that are passionate about about something. And you know, I, I have an interest in film, so it's always very interesting for me to talk about these things. So uh, I'm very very glad that that I could get you on uh, to talk about your experiences. So honestly, thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, man. Great. Thanks, Marlo.